Chapter Twenty Five of Isaac Bickerstaff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isaac Bickerstaff, Physician and Astrologer, by Richard Steele. Chapter Twenty Five. Sister Jenny and her Husband. From my own apartment, October Twenty Fourth. My brother Tranquillus, who is a man of business, came to me this morning into my study, and after very many civil expressions in return for what good offices I had done him, told me he desired to carry his wife, my sister, that very morning to his own house. I readily told him I would wait upon him without asking why he was so impatient to rob us of his good company. He went out of my chamber, and I thought seemed to have a little heaviness upon him, which gave me some disquiet. Soon after my sister came to me with a very matron-like air, and most sedate satisfaction in her looks, which spoke her very much at ease, but the traces of her countenance seemed to discover that she had lately been in a passion, and that air of content to flow from a certain triumph upon some advantage obtained. She no sooner sat down by me, but I perceived she was one of those ladies who began to be managers within the time of their being brides. Without letting her speak, which I saw she had a mighty inclination to do, I said, Here has been your husband, who tells me he has a mind to go home this very morning, and I consented to it. It is well, said she, for you must know. Nay, Jenny, said I, I beg your pardon, for it is you must know. You are to understand that now is the time to fix or alienate your husband's heart for ever, and I fear you must have been a little indiscreet in your expressions, or behavior towards him, even here in my house. There has, says she, been some words, but I will be judged by you if he was not in the wrong. Nay, I need not be judged by anybody, for he gave it up himself and said not a word when he saw me grow passionate. But, madam, you are perfectly in the right of it, as you shall judge. Nay, madam, said I, I am judge already, and tell you that you are perfectly in the wrong of it, for if it was a matter of importance, I know he was a better sense than you. If a trifle... You know what I told you on your wedding day, that you were to be above little provocations. She knows very well I can be sour upon occasion, therefore it gave me leave to go on. Sister, said I, I will not enter into the dispute between you, which I can find his prudence put an end to it before it came to extremity but charge you to have a care of the first quarrel, as you tender your happiness. For then it is that the mind will reflect harshly upon every circumstance that has ever been passed between you. If such an accident is ever to happen, which I hope never will, 
be sure to keep the circumstance before you make no allusions to what is past or conclusions referring to what is to come do not show a horde of matter for dissension in your breast but if it is necessary lay before him the thing as you understand it candidly without being ashamed of acknowledging an error or proud of being in the right if a young couple be not careful in this point they will get into a habit of wrangling and when to displease is thought of no consequence to please is always of as little moment there is a play jenny i have formerly been at when i was a student we got into a dark corner with a porringer of brandy and threw raisins into it then set it on fire my chamber-fellow and i diverted ourselves with the sport of venturing our fingers for the raisins and the wantonness of the thing was to see each other look like a demon as we burned ourselves it snatched out the fruit this fantastical mirth was called snapdragon you must go into many a family where you see the man and wife at the sport every word at their table alludes to some passage between themselves and you see by the pale paleness and emotion in their countenances that it is for your sake and not their own that they forbear playing out the whole game in burning each other's fingers in this case the whole purpose of life is inverted and the ambition turns upon a certain contention who shall contradict best and not upon any inclination to excel in kindnesses and good offices therefore dear jenny remember me and avoid snapdragon i thank you brother she said but you do not know how he loves me i find i can do anything with him if you can so why should you desire to do anything but please him but i have a word or two more before you go out of the room for i see you do not like the subject i am upon let nothing provoke you to fall upon any imperfection he cannot help for if he has a resenting spirit he will think your aversion as immovable as the imperfection with which you upbraid him but above all dear jenny be careful for one thing and you will be something more than women that is a levity you are almost all guilty of which is to take a pleasure in your power to give pain it is in a mistress an argument of meanness of spirit but in a wife it is injustice and ingratitude when a sensible man once observes this in a woman he must have a very great or very little spirit to overlook it a woman ought therefore to consider very often how few men there are who will regard a meditated offence as a weakness of temper i was going on it in my confabulation when tranquillus entered she cast all her eyes upon him with much shame and confusion mixed with great complacency and love and went up to him he took her in his arms and looked so many soft things at one glance 
that I could see he was glad I had been talking to her, sorry she had been troubled, and angry at himself that he could not disguise the concern he was in an hour before. After which he says to me, with an air awkward enough, but, methought, not unbecoming, I have altered my mind, brother. We will live upon you a day or two longer. I replied, That is what I have been persuading Jenny to ask of you, but she is resolved never to contradict your inclination and refuse me. We were going on in that way which one hardly knows how to express, as when two people mean the same thing in a nice ease, but come at it by talking as distantly from it as they can, when very opportunely came in both as an honest, inconsiderable fellow, Tim Dapper, a gentleman well known to us both. Tim is one of those who are very necessary by being very inconsiderable. Tim dropped in at an incident when we knew not how to fall into either a grave or a merry way. My sister took this occasion to make off, and Dapper gave us an account of all the company he had been in to-day, who was, and who was not at home, where he visited. This Tim is the head of the species. He is a little out of his element in the town, but he is a relation of Tranquillus, and his neighbor in the country, which is the true place of residence for the species. The habit of a dapper, when he is at home, is a light broad cloth, with calamanco or red waistcoat and breeches, and it is remarkable that their wigs seldom hide the collar of their coats. They have always a peculiar spring in their arms, a wriggle in their bodies, and a trip in their gait, all which motions they express at once in their drinking, bowing or saluting ladies for a distant imitation of a forward fop, and a resolution to overtop him in his way, and are the distinguishing marks of a dapper. These under-characters of men are parts of the sociable world by no means to be neglected they are like pegs in a building they make no figure in it but hold the structure together and are as absolutely necessary as the pillars and columns i am sure we found it so this morning for tranquillus and i should perhaps have looked cold at each other the whole day but Dapper fell in with his brisk way, shook us both by the hand, rallied the bride, mistook the acceptance he met with amongst us for extraordinary perfection in himself, and heartily pleased, and was pleased, all the while he stayed. His company left us all in good humor, and we were not such fools as to let it sink before we confirmed it by great cheerfulness and openness in our carriage the whole evening. End of chapter 25 Read by Elijah Fisher